1: If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com.
2: Welcome to And The Update Is. I'm your host, Paige MacDonald, and this is your weekly music industry update. Epic Games, which is the maker of hit video game Fortnite and Unreal Engine, has acquired the online music store and direct-to-fan platform, Bandcamp. Mushroom Group has launched its new talent management division, Mushroom Management. British pop star Dua Lipa has been hit with a lawsuit for allegedly ripping off a track by a band called Article Sound System for creating her hit single, Levitating. Levitating was released in 2020 from her album, Future Nostalgia, and has been streamed over 445 million times on Spotify alone, and has been viewed over 475 million times on YouTube. Universal Music Group has acquired the entirety of Neil Diamond's song catalog, as well as the rights to all recordings from his career. David Goldson has been promoted to Head of A&R Australia and Vice President Creative at Warner Chapel Music. TikTok is expanding the maximum length of its videos to 10 minutes. Sony Music Entertainment has inked a multi-platform media deal with Jason Owen's Sandbox Entertainment. Reservoir Media has extended its partnership with Havana hitmaker and previous and the writer's guest, Ali Tamposi. Universal Music Group has surpassed $10 billion in revenues last year. It's now double the size it was a decade ago. Christine Pepe has joined the Swiss music fintech company Utopia Music as its VP Business and Legal Affairs. Dolly Parton has become the latest superstar artist to enter the world of NFTs. Dolly Parton has partnered with Fox Entertainment's Blockchain Creative Labs to launch the Dollyverse, which is described in a press release, as an audience-centric Web3 experience. Talent management company YMU has launched its own record label, Amper Sounds. Universal Music Greater China has launched Capital Records China as a new frontline label focusing on signing and developing Chinese music talent. Rebecca Igioma has been named Senior Vice President Digital Marketing and Content Development for Capital Music Group. Ultra Music Publishing has struck a strategic alliance with Warner Chapel Music. Cobalt has signed songwriter, producer, and artist Lauren Aquilina to a worldwide publishing deal including Publishing Administration, Global Sync, and Creative Services. Fred Gillum has been promoted to Managing Director of UK and Europe at Concord Recorded Music. Sandbox Entertainment President and CEO Jason Owen and Sony Music Entertainment's Premium Content Division have inked a development agreement to produce a slate of original long-form projects across multiple platforms and distributors. Global music companies are reacting to the Russian invasion of Ukraine by halting or scaling back operations. Spotify has closed its Russia offices indefinitely, although its platform still remains operational, and Live Nation has stopped promoting shows. A big thank you to Haley Evans of Mega House for gathering today's news. Now, stay tuned for this week's very special episode of And the Writer Is.
1: Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. We are so excited and honored to welcome back today's rock star to talk about not just his insane last few years, but upcoming release and also NFTs, blockchain, and the future of music. He is a three times Grammy award winning producer and writer who has sold over 420 million records internationally. He has worked with everyone from Paul McCartney, Adele, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Jonas Brothers, U2, Miley Cyrus, Lil Nas X. I feel like this is the end of one of those 1980s like mixtape things. Or, or um, it's listing all the symptoms that you might
0: have if, if you take this yeah, yeah. drug. Yeah. Um,
1: all while being the front man of One Republic. And since our last chat, he's written some of the most played songs on radio, plus his catalog was very publicly sold. His art, he is a art connoisseur, a history collector, and multi-business entrepreneur. He is always an advocate for artists and writers, and the writer is Board Ape Owner, my friend, <laughs> I should Board Ape Owner, my friend, Ryan Tedder.
0: <laughs> That's really funny.
1: Saying Board Ape Owner, there's there's some... There's, oh, I see what you hear. Yeah, there's, Board Ape Owner. There's, yeah. there's some phonetic issues there that... <laughs> That I feel like is all of a sudden just got like a not safe for work. (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, so if you don't know much about Ryan, you can go back to a previous episode and 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 check that out. But uh, it's been a while, and I wanted to talk to you about a lot of things. Uh, You know, I think um, first of all, like since we've talked, which really wasn't that long ago, I remember as soon as we were done, we were talking. You were like, "Man, my last year would have been nuts if everything came out that." was that that
0: was i was told would actually come out god and- i remember that that was like my least favorite i told that story just the other day to another songwriter i think all day i was working with all day and, and we were talking about like the ups and downs of songwriting you have to have the thickest thickest skin and kind of detach your emotion w- completely from even the what you think might be the best song you've ever written you just have to like have this weird separation and 20, I think it was 2017. I think I think it was 2017. Was the year where like, yeah, all those had so many first singles slated to come out, and just like one by one, watch them just like vanish into thin air. Not a fun year.
1: But even now, it's really hard. So you can have a lot of first singles, and and you you know, you try to tell people that it's why it gets into a numbers game. And some of it is because, even if you had a shoe in and we can list a bunch of major artists who've released singles that were flops this year, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. you know, like what is a hit now? uh
0: a hit now that is the ultimate question. I think there's two layers, or I'd say even three, three types of hits right now um and 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 a hit can happen, you can have a song, you could be an American artist, drop a record on Spotify. it blows up overseas but then never converts in America and you can, and the inverse is true as well. And then in the UK, you've got 75% of the records that are hits are only in the UK and they are UK based artists like grime type records and like girl groups and stuff. Um, You know, I used to judge a hit by saying for, and everybody has different justification. Some people say billboard number one only. Okay, cool. But billboard number one, there are countless Billboard number ones that don't don't that die at radio and don't go anywhere
1: and like yeah they they don't make money they could be they, you could have a number one song that 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 you and you could have number one songs at at Hot AC that get licensed like crazy and you the, talk and, about this yeah. yeah I mean Max yeah.
0: told me years ago like that his at the time his his biggest earning song was a pink record um, because it lived at Hot AC for like two years and I can tell you firsthand being an artist with one Republic and other songs I've done that really do well at hot AC. That's, that's like the freaking gravy train, man. God bless the hot AC format. Other countries don't have it, but it's like the the dream, right? And, and then if you're Alicia Keys and you have a hit, it's the best thing in the world because you get rhythmic top 40, hot AC, AC, urban AC. Like you get like nine formats, but a hit, a hit right now. Um, look, 150 million streams is, is platinum, right? Um, back in the day, you would say, if you have a song go three or four times platinum, that's it, that's a hit. And and, and at least in the context that I would measure it for one republic, um, a song doing three, four times, five times platinum, that's a hit. Um, you know, now you can have a song that does a billion streams, which is phenomenal. The label's happy and it, and it was a hit in some places, but a billion streams sounds like a smash. A billion streams is not a smash. It's a, that's a hit. I feel like the number keeps moving as more people get on streaming. But I would say that I, everyone has their own definition. I think that um, anything that, that gets beyond like five, 600 million streams, uh, it, for, for me, I go, that was a really successful record, right? Now, radio, um, the catch is right now, having success in the music industry, the reason I said you have to shed any emotional attachment to, once the song's written, keep the emotion in the room when you're writing it, the moment the song's done, you better like cut off that umbilical cord because you will be tortured with the hit songs that you, your manager, your publisher, your, your, your band, your whatever, your mom (laughs) knows and swears is a hit record. And you're going, why is this not getting cut? Why is it not coming out? Like why it's, you know, so-and-so already cut it, you know, and they're sitting on it. Like I know Bieber cut it. What's like, when's it coming? You know, and you'll kill yourself with that stuff. Spotify streaming in general. And social media has democratized, has ripped the gates off and democratized music uh, almost to a point, not almost, to a point where I think music has suffered a little bit. Um, I had a, a vice president of a major record label say to me a few months ago, for the first time in my career, I cannot say that the best song always wins. And he was telling a story about how in a label meeting, they were having songs from one of their artists that nobody liked, that converted to streaming monsters and smashed because they got picked up on TikTok, turned into a meme and like just took off, right? And I'm not going to name the artist or the song, but he told me and I was like, "Oh my god, you're right." Like that song's not actually good. He's like, "It isn't, but it's smashing because the videos that are associated with that lyric on TikTok are have gone viral." And so therefore the song is is now streaming. Um Yeah. It makes you end up writing songs that, where
1: it's like a drop on the word, like margarine. And then everyone like grabs a stick of margarine and, and like does like a meme with it. And it's, it's made 10 times more than that heartfelt record that you wrote with Adele or something like that. You have to, you
0: have to, I, you know, I'm lucky that I'm, and I mean this, like I consider myself lucky and extremely fortunate that I still am able to have hits. And, uh, To any degree – for me still because I'm old school, um, a true hit, um, unless you own the Masters or are participating in the Masters streaming royalties, like you have a deal with a label where you co-own your songs, whatever, unless you're one of those lucky uh, few, um, radio, and you know this, is still – at the end of the day, um, it's it's what paid for this studio that I'm sitting in. You know, this streaming didn't pay for this.
1: Um, I know. I try to explain that to uh, younger audiences. When we – you know, we had that thing—the pact that came out where we were talking about not giving publishing to artists who don't write. And part of the issue that we found with younger writers were like, "Well, what's the point? What's publishing worth anyway?" And and that is so. And and then you're talking about this generation of writers who've sold parts of their catalog, which we can talk to you about in a second, and and they're not connecting the that value to what they're doing in a studio. So they don't mind giving 20% of their 20, when they're, when that artist is like, it's just 5%, but it's 25 and that one writer has 25% and it, it's not, it's 20% of that writer's share. And that writer's not even thinking about it because like, yeah, well, who cares? Let's give it. It gets us a, a record on, you know, this
0: big it, album. It, it's look, there's, there's a, there's something to be said for, making records with your friends that's what i get to do every day i I love doing it um i had a bunch of sessions with lewis capaldi back in um december uh november december and it occurred to me it occurred to me and and we've i talked about this on our the first time we did this podcast i'm also started long enough ago writing songs i'm one of the lucky few who um i wasn't it was just me. So I was like a lot of my biggest hits were hundred percent me. Like there was no co-writers. I came from the Diane Warren school of songwriting. I, I thought that's what everyone, I literally thought in Oklahoma, oh, so you sit down and you write a song by yourself. Like I had no clue that there were like all these other writing, like par- famous writing partners that were smashing it. Um, and I didn't have any brothers or sisters I was living with. So it was like, okay, I'm just going to do this now. Cut to call it 2010, 11. Um, the songs that started smashing radio in the charts had an average of five writers on them, four or five writers, right? Sometimes more Kanye and hip hop, nine writers, right? Um, you look at like, uh, more recently, um, was the smash? Uh, uh, stay phenomenal record, Bieber, Leroy, there's nine writers on it. Um, now they might not be split equally, but if it, if it is, then, then that's rough because those, those percentages get hacked, um, yeah, you're
1: getting 11, you know, you're getting a, whatever it is, 11.1 cents, you know. Per- it changes
0: to records get handed off and then someone does a little bit, someone does a little bit, someone does a little bit and it goes 5%. I'm dealing with it right now. We have a lot, I did Portugal Demand's uh, lead single that came out today and it, the record was over a six month process touched by so many people that the, you know, the person you're going to see more names than you're used to on that song um, for a Portugal record. Um and it it's so, so one one person did something that was really significant. Okay, that's worth five percent. The thing is, I'm I'm not going to cut people off at the knees if, when they actually contribute. Um, and then you have stuff like uh, where it truly is four or five people walking into a room, and you can honestly say everyone really did it. Like the uh, um, yeah. little Nas, little Nod's X, his current single, uh, "That's What I Want." That was me, Blake, Nas, KBZ, all in the room, Slatkin, everybody firing on all cylinders, and literally if you were if you filmed the whole thing you would say those five dudes wrote that song and everyone contributed and but I, I there are so many times where that's not the case i mean you read you you watched get back right i'm sure you did the
1: the beatles one yes. and you know you're seeing and if that if the beatles came out today there'd be nine writers on those songs You'd have the four guys, and then you'd have you know at least one producer, if not two, plus the engineer. And then you have these random guys being like, what about this chord change? Or what about that lyric? Even the guy who was the, basically the stenographer who was writing down the lyrics for everything would probably claim that he was in the room if this was 2022. And, 100%. You know, and Let It Be is not Lennon-McCartney. Let It Be all of a sudden is everything. I've had
0: to – people can smell blood in the water. And because what the reason that you're seeing these splits happen the way they are, one, when it started with, uh, you know, guys like Kanye, who everybody admires having 18 credited writers on a song or producers, you have young up and coming writers looking at that going, well, Kanye's rich. He puts out songs with 18 songs with 18 writers and they don't they correlate those two things. They think, well, clearly he's still making enough money. Newsflash, like, I, I, no one makes money off those songs. Like, you probably yeah. end up negative when you actually break. The, do the math. Um, but he makes great art. Wait, you should say that again. If you're part of
1: a song that has 10 writers.
0: You, you are not. You are, if, you, if you were part of a song that has 10 writers, unless it is. Let me use a great example. Unless it is the single biggest hit song in a three or four year period you're not making enough money to buy a house you're not you're not don't don't go don't go get that mclaren don't go get that aston martin because that is all the money you're making you you'll make enough to buy the aston martin but that's it like you're not going to like you want to get the nice whip and you want to get like some go to gucci and shop for a day knock yourself out that's all you're spending all of it so and let, it's so unless crazy, you're selling the futures on it the, the reality is there's only Maybe two songs a year, any given year that become lifetime evergreen copyrights that have true intrinsic annuity you know, value for the next 20, 30 years. You can't predict what songs those are. Typically, they're the songs that achieve the, the most airplay um, because that means they have the least burn. And they, there's something about them that people just can't stop listening to it. And that tends to become – uh, you know, endemic, and it lasts forever. For, for perfect example, and by the way, the Hot 100 number one songs are not, like the biggest Hot 100 of the year is is not the song that's going to last forever, like despite what popular belief. Prime example, Play That Funky Music, White Boy, I think peaked at number six or seven uh, the year it came out, 78, 79, whatever year it was. Um, when I used to be, back in the day, when I first got signed to Sony ATV for a co-pub deal for Warner Public, I remember the, the lady that ran it back then, Kathleen, told me, I, I said, what's the most valuable song, uh, licensed song in Sony ATV? She said, you're not going to believe it if I tell you. And I, she's like, guess. And I started naming obvious records, right? She goes, play that funky music, White Boy. I was like, what? She goes, that song makes like millions every year, um, like clockwork. And it peaked. It wasn't even a number one. It was like number seven. And if you asked everybody in America... Um, do you think play that Funky music white boy will stand the test of time and be still be being played 30 40 50 years from now? Everyone would say no, absolutely no. So you can't predict what those long tail records are going to be. They just get in the Bruce Springsteen sold his catalog for 500 million
1: and has never had a number one song as an artist. He only had a number one song from a cover from the Man for Man cover. Bruce Springsteen has never had a number one song. And has like nine evergreens.
0: Yep, nine evergreens. I mean, look, you know, I can tell you even from my own experience. My band, our biggest song in concert uh, was probably the least performing single off our third album, and it was a single, but it it, it all of a sudden got picked up. Which which one? Uh, I lived, and. Uh. And we do concerts and everyone's like, I graduated to this. I went. I got married to this. I went to a funeral and they played this. I, it, and it's like, I can't go to a Whole Foods without hearing it. So you can't predict what those songs are. But what, getting back to the publishing and splits conversation, um, the reason it feels like more of a bloodbath now and um, you finish a song and magically th- two or three more names pop up saying, hey, don't forget about me. I want 5%. I want 10%. It's because having hit records has now become a volume game and i i was going through my old sessions um from like 20 like 2008 9 10 up to like 14 15 it is shocking how few songs i wrote per year i wrote two songs a month two songs a month right and the ratio of songs i had come out as singles and succeed to the so- the amount of songs i wrote was nuts like the batting average that during that time period was so high because i wasn't having to compete with like a billion people to get a single and and when a label told you you have the third single on maroon 5, right? It was a commitment because there was no streaming. You couldn't just change your album track list like like post post album drop. you couldn't just ad hoc switch singles once the, once you planned, you said first, second, third even a fifth single dude, you could I had a fifth single with a with a group that was like their biggest airplay record on the album. And it was the fifth single. And I got told the week the album was coming out, you have the fifth single. And I was like, sweet. 15 months later, that song came out and smashed. And that would never happen now. It would never happen because. Well, also because that band is not
1: having the same kind of couple of years that they used to have. Correct.
0: But still, but, no, but still once an albums out. You're not getting five. No, songs. you're right. You're, you're right. not getting five singles. So I always say to this, to, to people now, I go, and they say, oh, it's a single. I go, no, 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 no. no. You have, there's two options here. You either have the first single or you have the next single. That's it. There is no, oh, it's going to be third, it's going to be fourth, it's going to be th-. – that doesn't exist anymore. So everyone now, because it's so hard to get songs to go to radio, anyone – if somebody walks past my front door and heard me playing the music through, <laughs> through the windows of my studio, like they're like, wait a minute, publishing. Like you can just – that's just what it's turned into. And so I, I've had to write – How many songs do you, How many songs do you write now? I do on average, unless I'm doing, um, like what I, unless I'm finishing production, like I was with John Legend all last week, wrapping up a bunch of stuff, unless I'm in the wrapping stage during a typical week, I will do a song a day, sometimes two. Um, like, so like tomorrow I'll I'll just, I'll be, I'll be transparent. Um, so like, uh, today I'm trying to remember what my session is later today. I have a, I have a session today. I just try to remember what it is. Um, tomorrow. Uh, I have like, I'm in with, uh, Maniskin and, um, Jesse Murph, uh, on on Columbia. Um, and then like, you know, the next day is also, I'm with One Republic and then, uh, Maniskin. And then, so like, it, it pretty much averages out to a song a day. Um, I'd say something like that.
1: How do you, how do you have time to be a dad and a
0: husband? Um, it's very simple. You, during my day like during the waking hours, it has to be completely efficient and maxed out. Like, so even stuff like, I don't go to, um, almost any like events. Like I just, my, my carte blanche answer is I'm, I'm busy. Or I I just say I have wife and kids, wife and kids. Like I'm not, you know, like this week, especially like there's three, three events that all, a lot of my friends and peers are going to. I'm not going to any of them. Um, I don't, do, if, if I'm gonna do a social occasion, like I'm actually having lunch with my wife today, like in like two hours, we're gonna go have like a mid-afternoon lunch. Um, it's difficult, I'm not gonna say it's easy, it is difficult. There are nights when I go late, I try to be home to have dinner uh, with the wife every single night, I pretty much make it. This week we shot a music video, the last two days we've been shooting a video, so I missed both nights, but um, that's the rare exception. On, on most nights I'm home for dinner uh, with the wife, the kids eat way earlier. So I I miss a lot of dinners with them, but I end up hanging out with them and I see them in the morning. Um, our school's four minutes away from our house. So there's, there's certain things like, and we switched schools because of that, like this year, like to get, give us back 10 hours a week as a family. Um, during my day, anyone, if you've around anyone who works with me or, or for me or whatever, it's, it's frenetic. It's like literally goes, if I have nine hours, I'm filling nine hours. Like there's very little time that I'm I'm still dressed in my like workout clothes because like I want to get my miles in today of exercise. I got half of it before this Zoom. I'm gonna get the other half after, and then I have a meeting and then I have lunch. So I just max it I operate I used to wait tables for years. I loved it. I'd, I'd probably still if if the you know the shit hit the fan, I'd still go back to waiting tables. I love talking with different people. But I was the I was the nut job that would um you know, you're, you you could not ha- you weren't supposed to have more than three tables in your section. And I was the nut job that had six. Cause like I would, just because it kept me.
1: Yeah. You've been, you've been Ryan Tedder your whole life. You
0: yeah, have been me my whole uh, life. So like, I like, I like the energy, man. I'm like an energizer yeah. bunny. Um, Tell me a little bit about like what it means to sell catalogs. What it means to sell catalog. Um, to sell your catalog means you are aggregating, taking every song you've ever written up to a date that you determine Uh, that you decide and say, up to this date, every song that I've written, all royalties going forward, um, I'm going to sell. You can also sell your producing royalties and your artist royalties if you choose to. And what happens is, private equity companies, um, funds, uh, giant music funds that that, that buy catalogs, they're buying cash flow, right? Cash flow is king um, in almost any economic up or down uh, scenario. And so... You've got guys that are betting on the long term value of music going up and up, which I believe in. And so, what they will do is, depending on how old your catalog is, the maturity of it is what they call it, the vintage of it, how old is the catalog? And what is your average annual income averaged over, the, let's say, the last three years? They'll look at the last three years and go, Here's the 10-year average, if, if your catalog's 10 years old. Here's the five-year average. Here's the three-year average. And of those songs, which of them they try to identify are lifetime copyrights? Like Iconic, this song, you know, all, all, uh, all opinions assert that this song is going to be one of those evergreens, right? Which is, that's, that's the more nebulous guessing game. You just get, that's like getting lucky. They assign a multiple So they'll say, let's, I'm going to use a number. Let's say you make a million dollars a year, right? You make a great living. You make a million dollars a year off of uh, music, um, your royalties. Uh, Let's say your catalog is 10 years old, right? It's a pretty mature catalog and it's average a million year. They're going to look at that and go, ah, all right, that's consistent. It's stayed around a million. It doesn't really deviate that much. If anything, it's going up because the long tail streaming, we're going to assign a 15 times multiple to that. Number and we are going to advance you the next fifteen years of earnings now in exchange for taking it over. They give you fifteen million, they take the the ownership of the copyrights. You take the fifteen million and you only pay and you you get to pay a much smaller tax rate because the government considers it a long term uh, long term gain. So you pay twenty percent tax, and that's really the idea: is taking the money off the table, paying lower taxes having use of that money to reinvest use it for your life use it for your house you you know whatever and and that's kind of it in multiples range anywhere from 10x to th- in extreme cases like Springsteen and Dylan 30x um and anywhere in between but i'd say the average for the last year or two has been somewhere around 15 to 15 16 17 something like that um
1: you don't have to answer this, but when you sold your catalog, did you add in your producer points or writer's share
0: or any of this yeah, stuff? I threw I threw in the producer points, um, and I did two kind of two catalog sales. I did like a a twenty five percent sale like four or five years ago, and then the one that happened in the last year was the remainder of that. Got it. Um,
1: like, and I assume like in that would include things like sucker and but maybe not Lil Nas X, right? So you're you're a bit you're you're making your new
0: catalog is basically what we're talking about. You yeah. Hit number one today with that song. It it, it popped oh, for a top radio. Thank you. So like I'm I'm uh, no that is like it's funny. I, and I I did a new admin deal because my admin deal was up uh, with right. downtown, and so I became a free agent for the first time in a long time. Ended up going with uh, doing admin with Sony, and I texted Big John and Amanda the other day. And I was like. I think I signed with you guys 60 days ago. I was like, I'm doing my best to earn it back. (laughs) I sent them the screenshot of the of the chart, the building chart. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to rebuild it. I mean, I'm not. That's not why I'm writing, but like, I'm. No, but it doesn't hurt to incentivize.
1: I know most most of the writers you're friends with, like, have we've all sold some part, if not, you know, and so. Every you know in Nashville, that's what they do. They sell their catalog every three years.
0: Yeah, well, that's here's why. So also it's the thing to consider, in Nashville. You'll end up getting lower multiples for those that are listening that are country writers. Um, the Nashville multiples typically are lower um, because of what what I talked about fifteen minutes ago. Um, hot AC Hot AC is a is a radio format that plays recurrent songs, which means that a song like perfect example, Maroon 5, um, Girls Like You, which I think broke the record, you can land – you can hit number one on that chart and stay there for 20 weeks. And and that that is a format that has like, um, like tens of millions of listeners. It's a big format. The Hot AC format is almost as big as the entire country format. So Hot AC, though, will play a song forever, forever. They'll take songs from five years ago, ten years ago, Damn. and still play them. With country – there's only about one song a year. Usually, it's typically the biggest hit of the year every year is about the only song that will be recurrent at all. So once you hit a number one in country, um, it you, you get number one for a week, two weeks, three weeks if you're lucky, and it goes down, it vanishes. And they're not replaying that that song. And so the money you make over the next 24 months is really the 90% of the money you're going to make off the country song.
1: Am I, my My – country song was part of my my deal and uh it was at that point i think it had been it was number one in 2014 and by 2017 or 18 like it was making less than most of my album tracks yeah
0: i i I started the year my first song that i think counts towards my um uh new catalog so to speak was uh I and it, we st- I started 2021 with a with a country number one uh, with Lady Annabellum. I don't own much of the song, but it we we hit number one the week before Christmas, and then it lasted the two weeks after Christmas. I think uh, because they froze the chart. Like, but here's another little cheat code to all the writers out there: if you're going to get a radio hit like a top five on any format, aim for peaking right around Christmas time, because what happens is our friends at iHeart Radio and Cumulus and CBS and everything. They freeze the chart, right? So A, you're going to be competing with a lot of Christmas music. But if you're like in the top three or five, they freeze the chart and you basically buys you two more weeks at that position, wherever you are locked, not doesn't go up, but it doesn't go down. And it's basically like a Christmas gift of two weeks of like tens of thousands of spins. And it's, 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 it's amazing if you can time it that way.
1: Yeah. Um, all right, we got to go to NFTs. Like that was really originally, I hit you up because I was like, we want to do an episode about like the future of music and the future of art, and you are uh, on the cutting edge of NFTs. You've gotten involved in it. Yeah. Uh, what is an NFT? An NFT is a non fungible token. Why is it value? Why would it be valuable? It's it's just a JPEG. It's just a <laughs> JPEG. Yeah.
0: No. So. The analogy I use for that, let's, let's talk about the artwork. First of all, it's important to note NFT creates. I I think NFTs have created more FOMO than I've witnessed in a a lifetime, just among like what should be reasonable, successful adult males. (laughs) Like not, there's a handful of women that are into it, uh, but it's, it's like 90, 10 guys to girls right now. It's gonna, it's gonna invert, but it's not just art artwork. Um, so, you know, and define art, right? So the, Gary Vee and I have talked about this a lot. You know, you can you can walk into the Louvre and take a photo of the Mona Lisa, print it uh, with a high def camera, print it, hang it on your wall. Do you own the Mona Lisa? No, like, and I know it, you know it, everybody else knows it. So the whole idea of just take a screenshot, oh, now I own it. No, you don't. And it's also like wearing a fake Rolex. Like, you know what I mean? Cool, if you're cool doing that, that's fine. I used to rock fake, Tags in college that I bought in Chinatown, um, but it's it's beyond that. NFTs, as it pertains to art, is a there's a thing called a smart contract that exists on the blockchain. It le- it's a permanent ledger, digital ledger that lists the identity um, or the a series of numbers and letters that are basically your address, your digital address, saying Ross Golan purchased the board Ape NFT for 0.5 Ethereum, right or $1,500, $1,500 uh, Board Ape NFT. He owns it. Now, if you sell it the next minute to me, permanently minted or uh, listed on that blockchain, will say Ross Golan sold the Board Ape NFT that he bought for 0.5 Ethereum to Ryan Tetter for 1.5 Ethereum and so on and so forth for infinity. Um, it's transparent. It's peer-to-peer. It's not governed by any, there's no middleman. That's part of why people like, it's called decentralization. That's why people like it. You're not, you don't have like some bank in the middle or some broker in the middle that's just taking fees just because they exist in the middle. Um, it's cutting out the middleman. And in terms of the value for music, look for artwork, 98% of all NFT projects will fail, meaning, um, if you buy in them, even if you buy in them early, you are likely to lose some some or most of your money. 98% will fail. There is a handful that are like restaurant. It, a, it has a worse success rate than restaurants. Um, if you, it's probably the same as music. I mean, all
1: things considered, people release music all the time. Nine, more than 99% of music that's released
0: fails. More of so it fails. It. If you it make it into sense. the global top 200, um, like I, I, it's funny, you, you do this business long enough. I get frustrated if my song, if I have a song hovering in this in the 50s and doesn't get into the 40s because like in my mind i'm going come on you know like if i'm not in that, that top 50 page like i haven't succeeded the reality is I, sometimes i check myself and i go dude you wrote a song that cost you nothing to write and you're 52nd it's the 52nd most listened to best song in the world right now like like be like come on come down don't be so hard on yourself um yeah most songs most songs are absolutely going to fail. There's 75,000 uploaded a day. How could they all succeed? Um, with NFTs, most projects will fail. But ultimately, do you like the art? Do you like the, the community? Right? So a lot of NFT information and the projects, it lives on what's called Discord. Uh, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. It's kind of like uh, Clubhouse, but more aimed at tech. And that's really where the NFT community has embraced it. The two, the two platforms that NFT and crypto heads love is Twitter and uh, um, Discord. I hate – I don't use Twitter. I hate it. I, I got off it years ago, so I don't really hang out there. But um, Discord is where you can find out about upcoming projects as NFTs yeah. pertain to music. And yeah. this is where it gets interesting. Um, there's a lot of companies right now that are doing different types of music-related NFTs. Some companies are – take young artists, uh, producer, writers. They write a song. And permanently sell it, the existence of it, everything, to one sole owner who buys it for a certain amount of Ethereum. That then goes to other buyers, and they be- That I have a friend of mine that, that uh, loves that stuff. I can't wrap my wrap my head around it because um, I just can't. I, good for you. It's they see it as collecting art, and they're not wrong. That is more music for pure art's sake. But a lot of these young producer writers will sell their songs on these. Uh, uh, crypto exchanges or these 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 um, platforms websites auctions whatever and they'll take that money uh, they'll take that money and they'll use it to buy a nicer microphone a new guitar recording equipment so i actually think i'm telling you right now if i was 18 19 20 getting into the music industry 100% i would go on one of those sites and try to sell some music nfts to fund my studio, right? I mean, I sold my the only car that I had to fund my studio, so I would sell some NFTs.
1: Plus, you get as the NFT continues to
0: sell, you know, you'll get twenty percent of the res- the resale value. So ten to twenty, sometimes as low as, for instance, Bored Apes, they only get I think it's two and a half or it's between two and a half and five percent. So it, it depends on the, you. Here's what's great about it: you establish the rules. It's a smart contract. You can say you can write into the blockchain into the code. Every time my NFT gets sold again, I get 20% of the profit of that sale. So if you sell for one Ethereum, $3,000, let's say, the next guy buys it for um, two Ethereum, that's a difference of $3,000, right? And in the contract, it says you get 20%. So you just made $600 additional because of that transaction and for infinity, by the way. So it goes on for infinity, which is insane.
1: If you have a home but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/host.
0: Um, that's one way to do it. The the Blau approach, uh, Royal, which uh, is a company that I invested a little bit into, I'm really excited about what they're doing, and I'm I just. I'm excited slash curious about the music application because here's the upside. Um, with Royal, you can uh, if you are Nas. Let's take Nas for example, the rapper. Nas, not Little Nas, Nas OG. He sold fifty percent. I think it was. I think it was fifty percent. Might have been hundred, but I think it was fifty. Fifty percent of the royal of all the future royalties uh, on the master side, like the master ownership. He sold 50% of two songs as NFTs on Royal. So let's say you break down a song. You take a song and you go, I'm going to sell 50% of this. They write it into the contracts at Royal. They auction it off into, let's say, 1,000 NFTs, okay? Varying degrees of, of like, um, rarity. So some of these NFTs might... The, the floor price might be higher because it comes with an autographed Nas thing or like the most valuable one might come with a FaceTime. You get a 10 minute FaceTime with Nas to talk about the two songs, right? And so you overpay for that. Um, but for all intents and purposes, let's say you break down the royalty stream of a song into a thousand NFTs, 50% for now and forever. Um, here's what's interesting about that. The, the upside is that now, your fans, if you're an artist, your fans, nothing is cooler than the idea of me doing, going to a One Republic concert in Belgium and a bunch of fans that show up, they own pieces of the songs they're hearing in concert. That is, all right, so on paper, in theory, phenomenal idea. Having Closing out the label scenario and having a true one-on-one relationship with your fans where they're the ones that share in the revenue. Not only do I love you know, if you're an Elton John fan and he somehow sold the part of the royalties for um, Tiny Dancer, imagine sitting there and hearing, hold me close to Tiny Dancer. And then you're like, I own a piece of this song and I love Elton John. So it's a great um, – it's a great theory. I think long term it's going to work, but it will change in terms of how it monetizes. So that's the upside. The downside from my perspective is – and I'm not just referring to Royal. I'm just referring to in general – this is the part I can't wrap my head around quite – I think I do think music is headed in the NFT space. I do think I do think uh, for newer artists, I think selling NFTs, sharing your royalties, funding your albums that way instead of doing Kickstarter or GoFundMe, you're doing it, uh, an NFT launch. I know me and twenty-three year old me who just moved to LA with OneRepublic, I would have done this. So I, I know that inherently I like the idea. Where it gets tricky is let's say you sell fifty percent of the royalties. Is this, this tr- Here's where it gets tricky. Nobody, 99.999% of your fans don't know shit about monetizing streams. They don't know that we don't get paid that much at all from streams. Maybe one day, 10 to 15 years from now, we will. And we'll do another Zoom with gray hair where we talk about, man, aren't you glad that we're getting paid so much? But that is not the conversation today. And so my fear with doing this, like if I was one Republican, if we were to do this, my fear is – If we sell 50% or 20% of the royalties of a a new song that we're releasing and the NFT market, because they're they're fans of Warner Public, our fans start buying them from each other. The price goes up and up and up. Let's say you have a song that at most will make $100,000 in total streams at most. And I sell 50% of it. Totally the most you're ever gonna make is fifty is fifty thousand dollars. But because our fans don't know the value of streaming, they have now paid five hundred thousand dollars. They have now over traded each other. I'm benefiting from that because I'm getting twenty percent every time they swap it, I'm getting twenty percent. So I've now made, as an artist, five hundred grand, or not five hundred, let's say I've made I've made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a song that will only make a hundred thousand and I only sold 50% of the royalties. So now I've got fans. My biggest fear is to ever put my fans in a position where they're upside down on an investment they made in me. So that's the part I'm trying to wrap my head around. And I haven't, I can't figure it out.
1: That is really interesting because I I think we know some of the same people in the music Mm -hmm. space who are doing NFT stuff and, and they're really bullish on it because they don't understand it. And a couple of people have sent me some of these songs where the song the structure is bad, the song's not good, but this random artist who has 15,000 followers on Instagram has sold a song for 15 Ethereum or something like that, which an Ethereum uh, you know, token right now is probably about 3,100 bucks or 3,000 3, bucks. So it's like, it's a lot of money for somebody to invest in a song that is worthless, except I will say this, if that mp3 or sorry if that mp3 if that nft were to give you access to backstage meeting you every time they're they're, they they come to a concert and show a ticket then all of a sudden you're like well you may you may not get anything back from that but as like we're doing um i'm you know uh, we're selling the Wrong Man NFT. Uh, it will actually be released, I believe, the week this comes out. It's the first, the the first animated feature musical NFT. It's a full length movie, and there's perks that come with different levels of it. Plus, we have different artwork depending on which one you get. It's on Terra Virtua. It's like it's been a whole like six month thing to figure out how to do it. But it's been fascinating to be like, what does this NFT give you? And it, you know, the idea of giving you an experience that in perpetuity you'll have some some way to interface if we do this kind of show or we do this kind of thing. And so that's been kind of interesting. Is to not the twenty percent of the master, but what do you get along with that twenty percent? I of think the there has to
0: be um, the, the 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 thing that all successful NFT projects ha- will have in common slash currently have in common is they offer a value proposition. They offer a utility beyond just that ape. I've, I have a handful of board Apes, right? I, yeah. I was lucky I bought them when they were a lot cheaper. And um, explain the board Ape thing. Cause it's the
1: biggest, it's, it's the biggest of them. And also you, you know, you told me get a clone X, like you're on your, Shit, when it comes to NFTs, explain what bored apes are. How many do you have now? Uh, I, I have a handful. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to say. <laughs> I'm not okay. going to say. You shouldn't. Okay. So why? Why? I would have you, enough that I, they're they're worth too much. Um, why would you spend three hundred thousand dollars on a on a cartoon ape? Well, uh, first of
0: all, I didn't spend three hundred thousand. Um, okay, why did well, Bieber 100%. Bieber just spend a million dollars? Yeah, one point five million. Um, so we now live as much as you and I grew up in the analog world. I'm, I, I grew up in the, so did you in the age of the internet. I've had a computer since I was six, seven. Um, people are like, you know, when they start talking about like, um, digital art, like what in the world is just a, anybody can make that. Like, why would I want to own that, that even though it's limited edition, why would I want to own that piece? We live in an analog world. And I go, do we open your phone right now? Click on screen time. How much time did you spend today? We don't live in an analog world. We divide our time between a digital and an analog world, period. Anyone that thinks that thinks we don't, that unless you're living in Montana in the woods and only reads newspapers, you're living in a digital world. So um, let's get down to the, let's talk about the flex thing for a while. I, I don't own a ton of watches. I own a, hand, a small handful that I really love that have like inherent value to me and, and they're pieces of art. Um, this is, and I don't wear them. I actually wear mostly my Apple watch now, to be honest because I've become keenly aware and part of it's just getting older. And if you get older and you do well and you make some money, the need to to broadcast to people that you've done well and you've made money goes down or should the older you get. And so I don't, I don't need to roll up to uh, Starbucks and flex on everybody with my crazy Rose gold Patek Philippe, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever bling, you know, bling out. Now listen, I'm not throwing shade or hate at people that, that love to like flex. I mean on Floyd Mayweather, for example, like everything he we- – every outfit costs $900,000. Like that is a thing. People choose to commit to that aesthetic. God bless you. That's not me. Um, but what I found is there are way more people that like to do that than don't. So I'm in the minority there. In a world where people like to broadcast that they are a part of something exclusive – that they are that there's something unique about them. That they know something you don't. That they they know about an upcoming artist song art thing that you don't know yet. Right? Everybody likes to do those little things. Hey, did you even on a base level? You're at a dinner party and you're you you bring up the the Netflix show that you've already watched the whole thing and no one else has seen it. And you're like, you're like, I'm on my shit. Like I I know what's good. I know what's good. Check out. You should be watching Ozark right now. What are you doing? So we all do it in subtle little ways. These tiny little flexes that we do, tiny little flexes. To sh- it's, it always sa- it says something about you that you're with it, right? That you're on, as you said, you're on your shit. Um, so digital art board ape, that's what this is. So I have this is my one of my favorite watches, right? It's a 1968 uh, old watch. Um, hardly anybody, like no one's cutting off my arm to get this watch because unless you know what watches are, you're not even going to notice that I'm wearing this, which is how I like it. I don't. I want to be low key. Now, the thing is, if I was flexing, let's say this is some crystalled out diamond-plated Rolex, right? The only people that are going to see this, the only people that I can display my taste in watches and that I've been successful are the people I come into contact with during the day at a coffee shop, at school drop-off, you know, whatever, if you have kids, in a writing session, right? Um, Well, guess what? in a typical day, you might run into 25 people, Right? Go, the average person on their Twitter, on their Instagram, and their socials has like – call it 500 to 1,000 people, right? And then if you're talking more in like entertainment, millions, hundreds of thousands of people, followers, tens, tens of thousands, et cetera, it, posting a board Ape, a CryptoPunk – initially was aimed at the crypto community saying i'm with it i'm part of the community it was a badge saying i'm part of this community i believe in cryptocurrency it's going to be the future of of how we transact and payments and everything and the nft is the is the artistic it's the banksy way of saying like i get i'm part of this culture and i'm here right bored apes now are have turned into the new diamond plated rolex the new patek philippe Right. Because if if um, if little baby or like if, uh, you know, Eminem or who I'm trying to think of somebody that would like like a young up and coming artist, that's like all Floyd Mayweather. Right. Can only show us can only show people so many people, his cars, watches and whatever. But on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, if he if he cops a five million dollars, super rare board ape that is literally like driving a Lamborghini past all of his followers Everybody. at the same time. And as, as, I mean, as and vaping knew- and gross as it sounds, uh at, its, at, at part of its core, it is a digital flex, right? When we all heard about NFTs
1: initially and the idea that, oh no, this is going to be people's profile pic, we all heard it. And yet all of us were like, initially most people were like, I'll wait a little bit. I think that's pretty crazy that people are spending thousands of dollars. Yeah. Which now, if somebody said like, hey, you can buy a board Ape for 0.4 Ethereum, you'd be like, if it just came out today, you might be like, I don't know if I want to, sp- but I'll
0: spend a thousand bucks on this. And and it slowly spreads and it starts in the entertainment community because we're the loudest and the weirdest. And then it eventually when it hits critical mass is when my mom in Tulsa, is like asking me about board apes or NFTs, or has is transacting in cryptocurrency, and like now you have a company uh, that's like one of the fastest growing companies in crypto called MoonPay. Um, Who he Ivan, the founder of MoonPay, is the guy that's been getting all the recording artists and actors and Gwyneth Paltrow. He's the one that's been getting them board apes. Well, it's it's super savvy because culturally board apes have exploded, and largely in part to MoonPay, um, his company monetizes, he is the ramp, the on and off ramp in every NFT transaction. Look at it like a real a realtor. There's two realtors, two brokers on either side of selling a house. He's on both sides. He's the broker on both sides. And they just launched a a uh part of their app. They just launched a feature that allows you to for the first time ever, if you have an email address, you can buy NFTs. You don't need a wallet, you don't need a MetaMask wallet, you don't need crypto, you don't need to know crypto anything. You don't need to Like if you can't spell Bitcoin, it's fine. If you don't know what an Ethereum is, it's fine. If you have an email address, you can now buy NFTs. And that's kind of the beginning of this thing going to Main Street, which will just explode everything even further. I mean, that's what we've been
1: saying. So it's still pretty difficult to buy it until it's not. And once it's not, then everyone who has one, it's going to look good. Um, Are you in the metaverse? Like are you going to buy land next to Snoop in the sandbox? Um
0: i I'll, i will yeah it's funny enough i was <laughs> i was looking at plots like like a month and a half ago two months ago i will probably get something but let me be very clear about this for me it's more i'm constantly curious i'm insatiably curious about a lot of things and when something it, it has me curious i kind of scratch at it and i and i kind of have the need to understand it um you have to be careful with NFTs. you asked me earlier how do you how can you you know uh balance your life and music and and parenting and like all these things together. Well, what you can't do is spend all your time like trolling NFT sites and like hoping that you get the next drop. So I, if I'm interested in anything, my assistant handles it and he's on it. I've got friends that do it now, like kind of enough that I can just piggyback on them. I, I'm not trying to, it's fun at the core of it though, man, it is fun. I gotta be honest. It's fun getting in that community and understanding it. I did my NFT drop, In April. So, like, that seems like forever ago. Almost a year ago, I did an NFT drop and was very happy with it. I met some amazing people who are now good friends as a result of it. And um, I love the community. I do think crypto uh, is the future of how we transact. I think NFTs will extend into home ownership. I think the contracts for, imagine, imagine listing a vacation rental, a super killer Malibu, like two bedroom on the beach, and imagine breaking it up. Into fifty NFTs, right? right.
1: Yeah, January. Jan- the first week of January is this NFT. The second week, first
0: of week of January thing. is like the the most expensive of the NFTs. But anyway, you get where I'm going. NFTs yeah. are gonna. It's gonna be commonplace. Houses will be bought and sold as pieces of NFTs or NFT contracts. The block contracts on the blockchain make more sense than contracts in the real world. That's the reality, and and we live in a digital world. I think that um, you know, Gary V. Would I have gotten into it? as early as I had, like the big reason is I've known Gary V for years. Uh, We're good friends. We are mutual friends. One of my closest friends of all time is his best friend. So like Gary and I have talked about all kinds of different things in early stage investments and things for years. So a big part of it, I I attribute to Gary just kind of like texting me furiously with a bunch of people on copy saying, you guys are sleeping, you're sleeping, you're missing it. I have a, a thing that I'm doing I, I'm not going to announce it yet because it's coming soon. But there's something that I'm doing with like um, uh, one of my board apes that will be in collaboration yeah. with someone else uh, who, who also has, and yeah. that that uh, that is going to be the first of its kind. When are you announcing that? Um, hopefully in the next few weeks. Uh, the well, be- hopefully in the next like Soon, wanna... soon because we're, we because we we we're kind of we're sprinting towards it.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, you know, the metaverse thing's really interesting with. With Sandbox and you know Decentraland, I know like there's this one on Cardano that I was just telling Joe about called uh, Boss Cat Rocket Club that has like, it's crazy how these things are getting built and it's crazy the access. I mean, you'll be-
0: But do you want to live in it? Because I don't.
1: I like, I don't want to, I don't want- No, but I, don't you have a dream that, I have a dream that my son is going to grow up in a place where he's going to be like, phones are not cool. Like, why would you be on a phone?
0: Yeah, so here's, here's my thoughts on the Metaverse. Uh, I mean, look, Facebook, Meta, whatever, lost lost $10.1 billion in the last like five months building out the Metaverse. Um, I, I think that I was talking with a, a, a label executive uh, this morning. I, she's like, sorry, I got to go. I'm running to the airport. I got to go to New York. I was like, "What? what for? She's like, I have to go there to be in the studio for 90 minutes with fill in the blank artist, who I won't name in the control room to listen to some stuff. It's freezing. I don't want to go. I don't want to get on a plane and expose myself to COVID. I'd rather just like stay home, but I, I have to show up. It's part of my job. And she was kind of like bemoaning that she had to do this. She loves the artist, but just like, like I, I you know, six hours there, five hours. But that's where the metaverse for me becomes valuable. If nobody wants to slog around, I don't want to go to Chicago in January. You know what I mean? If I don't have to for a meeting or where, where the real win is for me selfishly in the metaverse. And this is the only types of applications I see, but I think that's probably how they hook you in. You use it for one thing. Well, now I'm here. I'm in, an, I'm in some digital office building. Like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's a Nike store. What the hell? Like, I see where it can go, but dude, it scares me. I gotta be honest. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I am pro using it for very, focused like songwriting session imagine being able to go on vacation for a month like wherever you want in the world like go to france go to go to the islands go to cabo hawaii but in your mind you're like you're like man i really don't want to miss that one session with so and so like i don't miley just asked me to write and like i physically can't be there but i'm free that day if only i could just transport myself to that session that's what i want them i want like is it that what we're doing right now? It yes, yes, but no.
1: So, I get I get it. I'm just being I'm I'm asking like as the you know
0: Zoom sessions have- are Zoom sessions though. Like right, it's two it's two dimensional. There's an emotional like you know when you say like you, yes. you, when you when you bit crush something, right? There's a there's a there's an emotional bit crunch on when you do zoom cuz it's that two dimensional Thing. I've had really good success with Zoom. Like, you know, yeah. got like Ariana cuts uh, on my first Zoom session I did ended up being on Ariana's album, like at the beginning of the pandemic. Like, I all praise Zoom, right? We all should have invested in Zoom day one. But but um, I can tell you firsthand the amount of artists, especially young ones and young writers who do not, do not play with Zoom sessions, uh, it's it's ninety yep. percent of them. They want nothing to do with it. But if there was a visceral like I can't tell like like if I'm in the metaverse and someone over here goes I got an idea for this song and you turn and then if if all They're that there. stuff works and and we physically feel like it's happening, you know, man, like you could be in Bali <laughs> sipping a mai tai and like and show up in a session in Studio City. That to me is amazing. But what if we go to Bali and we just have a session in Bali? That's see, that's better. See what I yeah, mean? That's um, way better.
1: Last two questions. What NFT should
0: we be investing in now? Um, I hate giving like investment advice. I would say, you know, a few weeks ago, I told you about CloneX. Um, those went up. You know, I- yeah, I doubled. I advised uh, n- another manager friend of ours the other day, Jay Bug's, uh, on- um, yeah. uh, that morning he was texting me randomly. Hey, what NFTs are you into? I was going for a jog. And I said, uh, crypto skulls are getting pumped right now. They're going to, they're going to probably have a great day. He bought like three or four, sold them and made a bag of cash in the time that it was me, my, during my jog, like my 45 minute Crazy. jog, he literally was like, I just made 10 grand. Like, it's was like, Oh my God. And so you can do that. You can play the market. Um, 98% fail. The ones that are interesting to me, the future of I'm, – I'm not doing a lot of speculative NFT buying right now. I've kind of cooled my jets. I got World of Women. I got Bored Apes. I got like Mutant Apes and Clonex and all this other stuff, Doodles. I think Doodles are still probably have a ways to go. I think that will still keep climbing. I think getting a, a World of Women uh, NFT. I feel like um, even if you bought one at the floor right now, the World of Women, I, I it is more likely you will make money than lose money in my opinion on the World of Women NFTs. I think there's what they have coming this year – what what's coming, even as expensive as board apes are, what's coming this year? I know what's coming. I've you know, because I'm tight with the that team, um, what's coming is is massive. And so I think that as crazy expensive as it is now, I think it's only gonna go up. Um and I think that the ones you have to focus on for 2022, my focus is going to be um gaming period. If I'm gonna get an NFT, it it needs to be one that is the plans are for it to function in a game, whether that's Fortnite, uh, a Ro- a Roblox, like Minecraft. Like the utility within gaming is the future of of NFTs, in my opinion. That's the future of NFTs for 2022 and 23. What games? Um, some of these companies are making their own games, right? And then you can play to – you like actually earn tokens and money and all this stuff to win. Shock surprise, I don't have time to play video games. I love video games,
1: I- but you can still own. You can still own it, like Allu- Alluvium and and Ninja Protocol, and like there's so many of these
0: games. A buddy of mine, look, a buddy of mine, uh, printed took his board ape. Uh, he manages an artist. Printed uh, d- made a bunch of t shirts. Uh, once you buy a board ape, you own that IP. You can make a cartoon. You could make and sell a cartoon to Netflix. You could ma- you could do make merchandise on all your touring stuff if you wanted to, which I'm going to do. He made, he made 50 grand in 24 hours selling T-shirts with his board ape on it. So the utility is up to what you want to do with it, right? It's like anything, the more popular the NFT project becomes, the more valuable your thing becomes, the more you can monetize it. Um, all these things though, like again, I, I know people that do this full time. They buy and trade uh, NFTs. I still like writing songs. I like my core business. I like I'm keeping my eye on the ball and and not trying to be. I got distracted for a minute with that stuff because it's so fun and it's it's sticky. It's addictive, but now I literally was like done. Like I'm cooling my jets. Like people still. I'm on the group text with a ton of people about NFTs, and I pop in once a week and read it. Like if I've got time to kill. I just you have to be very you have to be cautious. You have to actually care about it, Um, and don't play with money you can't afford to lose. Like, just don't, just don't like it's, you know, it's, it's, there's a little bit of, it's still early days. There's a little bit of Vegas going on. So you have to be careful. And I, and, and again, focus on ones that if you see that a company, an NFT project has already struck a deal with Nike, with Adidas, like clone X did, um, with EA sports, with Microsoft, if Disney, uh, if there are, Deals in place with major corporations where where there's like cartoon usage or video game usage coming down the road or tokens. Those are the ones to focus on. If it's just, hey, here's another gorilla like with hats, right? Or here's a rip off there's so many rip-off projects. Everyone now is launching an NFT. Everyone. And yeah. it's like Well, that's why we are trying to do
1: something—not trying to do something unique. We just are doing something unique in that space to be a a first. Be the first.
0: Be the first. Which you are, and that's critical. If it it works, it works. Well, that's kind of like with me. If I pull off this thing, uh, this this music thing, um, we technically would be the first. You know, like we were the first band, the first uh, artist, American artist, to get to get paid for a concert in crypto. You know, we got paid. We played a show in Vienna, right outside Vienna. The day before Austria closed its borders, back in like November, um, and at the last minute, I was like, "I want to be paid in Bitcoin." And they were like, "What? How do we do it?" And so we used Strike, which is the Bitcoin payment app, and and we got paid via I think it was like from Barclays London or however they wired it to us, but it got sent through the app, and it, it the money converts to Bitcoin for one one hundredth of a second and converts back to your currency. So you don't need crypto to convert to send or receive money worldwide you don't actually need to touch crypto you can use apps like strike and just zip it it's way cheaper than venmo way cheaper than paypal um, and so i think th- there's you know there's a lot of cool is there any
1: environmental issues to, like i hate, people mention that all the time and i'm always like zero
0: there's for, when you're when you're sending and receiving if you're using the lightning network there's no environmental issues it's it, imagine a giant pond right still still pond and you take a pebble and you skip it and, you, and, you, and you, it touches the surface of that pond and jumps to the other side of the pond. That's effectively the lightning network. So you can use it to send and receive money. Like fans can pay for stuff. Oh, the tipping inside of Twitter. You can tip now on Twitter. That's yeah. that's Strike. That's, what, that's their company. Is that a publicly traded company? No, it's a private company. Um, but yeah, that's – it's a fascinating – I know Diplo, of course, was the first on that, using the tipping. But all the tipping in Twitter now worldwide is using the Lightning Network, using Strike. So there are ways to to engage and use crypto um, without knowing anything about it, without being savvy. Um, you just have to be paying attention. Do you – book your sessions or does your manager
1: book your sessions?
0: Like how do you, like how you have. Yeah, I both, the manager requests sessions occasionally. Um, I'd say 50% of my sessions or more, maybe 60, 65% are me texting with one of my main co-writers. So like, like I just jumped on two sessions this week, texting with Rami over at, at, at MXM, uh, I jumped in a session with Ilya and Omer Fetty texting, but then I got request the, the Louis Capaldi sessions were their management talking to my management. And like, yeah. new, um, you know, uh, I have days with, with Maneskin coming up that were, you know, management asking me. And so I, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's tricky. It's tricky to keep all that stuff balanced. And there's still those days where, um, you're kicking yourself because you, you you know you end up getting accidentally double booked or something didn't get written right. Out. Um What about you? Do you do you management or do you do them? Uh,
1: I do it and same same thing. I mean, there are certain co-writers that I've had really good success with, so I tend to write a lot with the same people. It's like when younger writers are always like, you know, when they ask to get in the room or something, or like they all they want to do is get in the room. You're like, you don't want to get in the room with me. You want to get in the room with one of your friends and make a hit, and then everyone goes to you guys. And I have like a few people that I've had like a lot of success with, so it's like, why would I not continue to write with them? Of course. But I mean, like, you know, if, if when we talk about doing a random session or something like that, then it's like, yeah, let's do that because more, more because we'll just end up talking about, you know, the you know, the original lyrics outside your door or like, we'll talk about all kinds of things and then we'll write a good chorus or a good song. And I, I know that that'll happen. So it's like, it's just easy. A hundred percent. I really am at a point now where I need to enjoy what I'm doing and I'm not trying to do two sessions a day. And I respect you for doing that kind of hustle and I see the numbers game in it. Um, but I also have like a publishing company and unknown music's doing well. And I've got my musicals in New York and the
0: wrong man stuff. And an I've an got oscillator. Like- I mean, the, 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 key is, the key is, uh, diversifying. I mean, everything that you're doing is yeah. creative. Uh-huh. And I think that the key is <clears throat> there will 100% be a point for me, um, that, and I know it's coming. I don't know when, but I know it's coming uh, in this decade, uh, where I pedal down the sessions tremendously and it converts into overseeing the publishing company as well. I know it's coming. I think what I'm trying to do is like buy time because I know, I know that there's only so many, you know, but then like, I'll get in a room with like writers that are, uh, been doing it longer than I have by a decade, like Rami. And I'm like, bro's sitting here on, on his second session of the day. Like, and I'm just like, Holy cow. But this
1: is that that world. The the MXM world works in that way, where a lot of them. One of them, I was I was at I was probably in this the studio next to you while you were in with Rami, and I know the artist with Omer and everything. Like we, you know, we were having the same conversation next door, and I was talking about all these things that you know, and we can offline about some of the publishing stuff because there's some really cool shit happening. But, um. I was talking about it, and I was like, why don't you start your own thing? Or why don't you invest in these things? He's like, then I'm an investor. He's like, I'm a songwriter. And I'm just a songwriter. And I really respect it, because Max is that. Although, Max invests and stuff. I mean, but, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Matt, yeah, 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 totally. And, and he's at a different place in his career, but you know, a lot of those guys in that world really focus on writing. They are a songwriter or they are a a producer. And I wish I had that in me.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I do too. Like I, I am pretty sure that my wife would absolutely be stoked if, um, (laughs) if all I did was just write songs. Like, like, and, and I, the truth be told is I have to, I told you, I get curious, I scratch an itch and I explore and decide if something is or isn't for me and the last 10 years has been me the reason that i think i i do as many things as i do now is the thing that people forget or i often forget when i'm too hard on myself is i was on the road for over a decade touring so my whole world from age 21 20 to 36 my whole world was writing and performing music nothing else yeah and finally moving back to l.a getting off the road, taking a break from one republic, finally saying, oh my God, am I, can I, like, in this lifetime, will I only ever be good at this one thing? There's so many things that I'm interested in. So I think the last handful of years has been exploring those. I've definitely decided on certain things. I want them out. I don't want to do that. I didn't like that. That's not fun. And I'm the same with you though now, where it's like, dude, if it's not fun, forget it. You can only fool yourself so long. If it's not fun, we got – if you got into songwriting, you got into it because you wanted a fake job. So don't give yourself a – don't go digging up a real job when you don't have to. Get You got the fake job. You've already won the lottery. If you make a living writing songs, you have won the lottery, period, period. I, I don't even mean being rich. If you make a good living and you have a roof over your head and a car you can drive or an Uber that you can afford, you've already won. Dude,
1: the the entrepreneur thing is really funny cuz you know you everyone thinks entrepreneurs mean that you're rich but it doesn't it means you are your boss
0: 100% 100%
1: It's very different you can make $20,000 a year in some places in on this planet and and not have a job i don't know where that is but you you can make you can make you know enough money
0: not and not have a boss yeah hundred percent, man. That was the, it was the only thing I cared about. I didn't, my goal, I think, I mean, I said this the first time we did this uh, podcast, my goal at spoken goal to my parents as a songwriter, actually to my wife, I wanted, I was living in Nashville and at the time, uh, you could make, if you made 50 to 70 grand, you could have a house. This is now, this is wow. This is 20 years ago. Yeah. You could have a house. Uh, you could live, um, comfortably, you could enjoy the weekends. You could not be stressed out. And so I was like, if I can make 50 to 70 grand uh, writing songs, that means I'm making a living. And I've and to me, getting any songs coming out was like success, period, success, right? And as, as you achieve certain things though, human nature is to move the bar, right? How much is enough? We, we're all asking the same question and the yeah. bar keeps getting moved and at yeah. cer- a certain point you do you like the people that i the people that i'm jealous of on occasion are the people like you said who just goes i'm just a songwriter and you can have all that other stuff like y- any of the other things that aren't songwriting it's out it's out for me i just do this and that's okay
1: but your your personality is like you want the six tables you could have just been you could that's the problem and and you know we've been these people since we were young enough to have those jobs yeah. and that's the that's the issue it's like it was never in the cards for you to do that and it'll never be in the cards for me to do it and I, and i still have to deal with that emotionally that it'll never be i'll never retire and be like i want to think i will yeah, but if I do, I'm going to just be writing a book or a musical again or something, something else.
0: The only way that you could, let, I could, you could force me to retire. I, I know this about myself. I'd have to physically remove myself from the geography of Los Angeles or New York. I'd have to, yeah, be totally, like yeah. Montecito. You, you know, I mean, I'd yeah. have to be. You, you take me up there. I love it. I love that all of Northern California. Like, put me someplace like that or on an island somewhere, and, and I would have to force myself you know, uh, geographically to, to chill out. Um, and at some point, like probably that's the healthy thing to do. Um, but for now, you know, I, I'm, I'm still enjoying it, still learning, still trying to, you know, master the craft and you're still chasing that elusive hit just like everybody else. And only now I'm just having to write five times as many songs to get one third of the results.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. It's like, or, or you write the same amount of songs You take one, you know. You take. uh, Well, I guess that would be like a tiny percentage of the results, but yeah, you have to just be willing to. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a strange thing because either that or like it, it, you know, or you can live in the metaverse, or you can go outside. It's a beautiful day, man. It's a beautiful day, man. Like you you should go do the rest. Go do the rest of your. Go do the rest of your workout. Yeah go jog in the metaverse um your avatar is going to be ripped <laughs> um and uh yeah man thank you again for for uh, we, we'll just keep doing these cuz like it's so informative for everyone to just uh, also it's nice for people to know that like the music industry is actually like a group of nice guys that are also just trying to figure it out
0: man we're just trying to figure it out dude like honestly <laughs> i'm just trying to like just trying, to, just trying to figure out and, you know, cross my T's, dot my I's, and, uh, you know, get my mortgage paid. <laughs> just like everybody else.
1: All right, ma'am, Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks, man. Talk soon. See ya.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andtheriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan.